It sounds to me like you guys are excited to be here. Is that true? Are you a little bit interested in spring break? Is that maybe something that? Well, we're really excited about giving you lots of information about spring break. That's going to happen in a little bit. So if you can hang with me for a few moments, we're going to dive into some cool stuff in the Word of God tonight, and then you're going to hear all about our spring break trips. But first of all, here's a quiz for you. What book of the Bible have we been studying this semester? Luke. Very good. And we've been talking about, in the book of Luke, different encounters with Jesus and how he embodies something. Do you remember what it is? Good news. That's right. Give it up. Janine, she's on it tonight. That's awesome. Okay, so we've been talking in the book of Luke about how Jesus embodies good news. And the good news I have for you tonight is that Jesus provides. Amen? That's good. We could just, we could just go home now. That's enough, right? Jesus provides. So I want you to say these words after me. These come from Isaiah 26. You will keep in perfect peace, peace. him whose mind is steadfast steadfast. because he trusts in you. you. Trust in the Lord forever, forever. for the Lord, the Lord 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 is the rock eternal. eternal. Isn't that awesome? I love these verses. It's Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. And it's something that has stuck with me for years and years and years throughout my life. Tonight, what I want to do is look at several stories. We're going to, I'm going to tell you actually three stories from my life. We're going to look at two stories about Jesus. And then we're going to ask some questions about your story. And figure out how this idea that Jesus provides might have something to do with you here tonight. Does that sound okay? All right, are you ready? All right, here we go. Story number one, and there are just exciting pictures that go with these stories. So I actually do have a picture for you. You can throw that first picture up there, Allison. All right, here we go. This is baby Stacy graduating from Wheaton College a long, long time ago with my friends. Which you'd think would be a very exciting time in my life. Some of you guys are very excited about that happening to you someday, graduation. But here's the thing. My senior year in college, I started dating a guy that lived down the hall in my apartment building. And we hit it off. We had a great year. We dated most of my senior year. And our plan was to be engaged by graduation and married by Christmas. So this was going to be a good year, right? The problem was, as the days got closer to graduation, we started to not get along so well. And it started to get worse and worse and worse. I remember looking in the mirror one day and thinking, there has got to be something better than this. But he actually broke up with me about four days before graduation. So now, instead of facing this big day of celebration with a ring on my finger and all kinds of hopes and dreams for the future, I was facing this day with a lot of heartache and a lot of brokenness, and a lot of disappointment. That is story number one. Story number two, go to the next picture. This is me a long time later, um, 2004, uh, in Israel, actually sitting on top of Mount Carmel. Um, I went also to the same spot in 2005. I came home from that two-week trip, woke up in the morning, and I knew clearer than I had known most things in my life that I needed to move to Jerusalem 
where I didn't know anybody, and study for two years to really learn the Bible in its context. Now, that was really exciting and a really fun idea. The problem is that that came with all kinds of risk. I was a single woman who was thinking about moving to the Middle East, which was a pretty big deal. I did not have any money to make this happen, and it was pretty expensive to go to school over there. Um, And I had a job that I loved, and there was just a lot of risk. But I really knew I was supposed to go. Mostly, I didn't have the money. That's story number two. Story number three, go to the next slide. Yes. I want to tell you this is the happy part of the story. There's happiness in this picture because Ben's happy, right? Happiest guy I know. But here's story number three. Ben and I were married in 2007. We had a couple amazing years, partly living overseas, doing lots of crazy adventures. Um, And pretty soon after a couple years, we're like, you know what? I think we really want to have kids someday. So I think we should start thinking about that. And I was older. I was in my 30s. And you can't really wait a long time. So finally, we were like, okay, we're going to start pursuing this. But here's what happened. Um, We kept not getting pregnant, not getting pregnant, not getting pregnant. A year went by, went to the doctor, had lots of tests done, no answers. Ben had tests done, no answers. Actually ended up having surgery, still no answers. Three years went by, and still no baby. And our hearts were broken, because this was a dream and a deep desire that we had, and it just wasn't happening. You can take that down. Each of these stories in my life come with some kind of loss or some kind of deep or big need for something that I had to trust God to provide. Something bigger than me, something that I couldn't see. And honestly, these are three stories of like hundreds. I seriously could tell you hundreds of stories like this. Um, This is just three. I've experienced lots of times in my life when I really needed God to provide. Um, So here's what I want to do to just get you thinking about this a little bit, okay? You don't have to like share your deepest, darkest heartaches. But what I want you to do is get in groups of three or four, introduce yourselves, And talk about this. What are some areas in life, just in general, could be for you, could be just a general comment, right? What are some areas in life where it's hard to trust God to provide? Okay, just talk about that for a couple minutes. On your market set, go. Okay, why don't you bring it back in? I just want to hear a couple. My guess is you have lots of the same answers. But will someone just, a few of you raise your hands, give me some examples. What are some ways or some areas it's hard to trust God to provide? Yeah, right back here. Financials, amen? Yes, that's a big one, absolutely. What else? Yeah, right here. Ah, safety, okay. And relationships, absolutely, of all kinds, right? Yeah, right back here. School? Ah, your future, absolutely. Health. And you know what? When you say health, I think it's sometimes our health, or it could be the health of people we love, right? I think that kind of goes in both categories. Anything else come to mind? Yeah, right here. Oh, you were just saying hi. It's cool. Yeah, hi. He says hi. (laughs) Anything else? I think we got a lot of them. Raise your hand if you can relate to one of these things that you're hearing. Okay, great. So all of us somehow have ways that we need to trust God to provide. 
Tonight, what I want to do is take a look at two times that the disciples of Jesus had to trust God to provide. So we're going to take a look at these stories and then ask some questions about our own stories. Before we do that, would you pray with me? Jesus, we've come tonight because you have brought us to this place, and we are thankful for that. God, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the truth that it speaks. And God, I pray that my words would be from you and that our hearts and our minds would be open to hear what you have for us tonight. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and someone will bring you one from the back. Or you can share with someone around you. Luke chapter 9. Okay, Luke chapter 9. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to put a piece of paper in there or your finger, either one, and I want you to close it, even though I told you to just open it. But I want you to keep it marked so we can get back to it soon, okay? We're going to look at two different stories. I want you just to listen to the first one, okay? Just listen to the first one, and then we'll get back and look more closely. This is Luke chapter 9. When Jesus had called the twelve together... He gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them out to preach about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he told them, Take nothing with you for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, when you come to a town, stay there until you leave that town. If the people do not welcome you, then shake the dust off your feet as you leave their town as a testimony against them. So the disciples set out, and they went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. When the apostles returned, they came to Jesus and reported all that they had done. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, you can open back up to Luke chapter 9. Here's my question. When you hear this story, very simple question. What did the disciples need? What did they have to trust Jesus to provide for them in this situation? Raise your hand, be bold, give me some, give me some answers, yeah. Okay, protection from the elements. Okay, what else? Food. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Adam. Food. What else? Clothes. What else? Water. Right here. Shelter. Once you start listing off all these things, what do you realize pretty quickly? Everything. Right? They have to trust Jesus for everything. Not just a few things. He's like, take nothing with you. Go and believe that you are going to be provided for. Now, this is really interesting. I wonder how long it took them to go. Because if you look at verse 6, what does it say? So they set out. So they went. It doesn't say so. They sat down and they calculated all the risks and they talked it through with their friends and they weren't quite sure, so they waited six months. I don't know how long it took them right? Maybe it took them a while. Were they afraid? 
Did they think about the risk? Did their friends or their parents say, you're crazy, what are you thinking? I mean, can't you all hear your mom saying like, zip your coat up on the way out the door, right? And she's just like, don't even take a coat, right? But they go. I don't know how long it took them, but they went. And then God provided for them completely. We don't read in the text that they went hungry and they were cold and they couldn't find a place to stay. They came back and they reported to Jesus everything they had done. Sounds like it went pretty well and that God had done a lot of miracles through them. The disciples in the story are in training. They are in training to learn to do the things that Jesus did. And they're in training to trust God completely. It's pretty cool. So I want you to stick your finger back in and close your book again. And I want you to listen to the very next story. Very next story. Picking up sort of where we left off. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus everything that they had done. And Jesus took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned of this and followed them. So... Jesus welcomed them, and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed all those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowds away. Let them go into the surrounding villages and the countryside so they can find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. Jesus replied, You give them something to eat. They answered him, We have only five loaves of bread and two small fish. Unless we are to go and buy food for all of this crowd, about 5,000 men were there. Jesus said to them, Have everyone sit down in groups of about 50. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. And then taking the bread and the fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks And he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples to set before the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. This is the word of the Lord. Open up to Luke chapter 9 again. Now, here's an interesting question. If you look, well, let me ask you this. No, look at verse 12. I want to say that first. Look, look at verse 12. What are the disciples concerned about? Food and what else? Lodging. Food and lodging. What had they just seen provided for them in the story directly in front of this? Food and lodging and a bunch of other things. Right? But they come to Jesus again and say, what about food and lodging for all these people? Literally, they had just seen that God was able to do this. Now, here's what I want you to do. Turn back in your Bible to Luke chapter 6. And I want you just to flip through the pages. Luke 6, 7, 8. And be brave. Raise your hand when you have an answer. I want you to tell me some of the things that the disciples had recently seen Jesus do. What had they seen him do? As you flip through Luke 6, 7, 8, raise your hand when you see one, and let's hear it. What do you see? Yeah, right here. 
He raises a dead man to life. What else? Yeah, Luke. He heals a man with a demon. That's right. Sets him free. What else? He calms the storm. They're out in the middle of the lake, and they think they're going to die from this storm, and Jesus calms it. That's right. That's right. He raises a, a girl who is dead, and he heals a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. Absolutely. Anything else you see in there? Would you agree with me? There are more. Would you agree that they have seen Jesus do a lot of amazing things? Like a lot of amazing things. Go back to Luke 9. Look at verse 13. Jesus says to them, when he answers their concerns, he says, you give them something to eat. They've just seen Jesus send them out and do all kinds of things that he's able to do. You give them something, something to eat. Their answer tells us that their memory is not working so well, right? Because they say, what do you mean? We don't have any way to do this. We don't have enough food. We have to go buy food for 5,000 people? And I look at verse 14 where Jesus kind of tells them what to do, and I think Jesus is going, okay, for real? Are you really asking me this right now? Are you really worried about this? Okay, guys, one more time. Have everybody sit down, right? One more time. Let me show you. And Jesus takes the little that they have, and he provides for the entire crowd more than they need. So much so that there are 12 baskets left over. We see in verse 17, they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. Scholar N.T. Wright says this about these stories. In these two stories, Jesus invites the disciples into partnership in what he's doing. He invites them in when he sends them out to preach about the kingdom and to heal the sick. He invites them in when he looks them in the eye and says, you give them something to eat. He, he says that they needed to learn what he was doing, but more importantly, they also needed to learn to trust God like Jesus trusted God. Here's what I want you guys to know tonight. You are all invited into partnership with Jesus. You're invited into partnership of bringing healing and hope and restoration to a broken world. You're invited into partnership in proclaiming the kingdom of God and the good news of the gospel. And in the same way, we are all in the process of learning to really trust Jesus. I mean, really trust God with everything. Just like the disciples are in this learning process, I am too, and I have been all my life. I'm going to go back to my three stories and clue you in a little bit to what God did. So story number one, you can throw this picture up there. I know. (laughs) Here's what you need to know. From graduation day until this day, it was about 12 years. It was a long time. And some of those days were really good and some of those days were really hard. There was a lot of adventure and a lot of cool stuff that God called me to. 
But my story was that God was going to provide for me in a way that I was not looking for it. I was not anticipating it. I wasn't thinking, oh, I just want to be 34 and not be married yet, right? (laughs) I'm sure none of you are thinking that right now. Um, And then when I was 34 years old, God sent Ben Post, and he asked me to marry him, and I did. And that was God's provision. But it took a long time, and it came in a way that was completely different than what I had hoped when I graduated from Wheaton College and I had that broken heart. It's pretty cool. Story number two. Um, This is before we were even dating, okay? So I told you I wanted to go study in Jerusalem, right? But it was going to cost a lot of money. So here's what I did. I had a very short window of time. It's a long story. I can't explain all of it. But when it came down to the actual going, I had a short window of time where I needed a lot of money to make this happen. And I did not know what to do, so I started to pray. And I started to invite everyone I knew to pray with me. I didn't ask for money. I asked people to pray. And I'm not kidding when I tell you that within about four or five weeks, God provided $19,000. And I moved to Jerusalem and went to school for two years. So did Ben. You know what that led to. So... (laughs) But here's another interesting part of this. We were living in Jerusalem the second year we were married, and life over there is expensive. By law, you can't work. We were in school full-time. Groceries are expensive. And there was one day that we went grocery shopping, and we spent a lot of money on food, and we came home to our apartment, and we looked at our bank account, and we had $50 to our name, and we literally cried. Literally. And then we prayed. Like, God, what are you going to do? And in the next week... Not kidding. We had some friends over one night. They all left. I go to bed. There's $200 under my pillow. About two days later, I checked my bank account. A friend of mine had put $1,000 in my bank account. And a few days later, I went to school and checked my mailbox, and there's an envelope, and it has $700 in cash. When I tell you God provides, I'm not just saying it. I've experienced it. And I've experienced it in some crazy financial ways. That's story number two. Story number three. (laughs) I will try to tell you the story and not cry. Um, So three years, we tried to have a baby. And after three pretty heart-wrenching years, we made the decision to start to pursue adoption, which was actually a very difficult decision for me. I was grieving, I was frustrated, I was kind of mad, actually, to tell you the truth, that we weren't able to have a baby. And so this was not my first choice. Um, But over time, we decided to pursue it, and God started to work in my heart. And then one day in February of 2013, our paperwork wasn't even done, we got a phone call from our caseworker saying, there's a baby that was born yesterday, he needs to go home tomorrow, are you interested? And Ben laughed out loud. And then we, <laughs> then we prayed for a few minutes, and we didn't sleep that night. We had to wait. The way it works is they put your name in, and the birth mom gets to choose the family that the baby goes to. So they gave her our pictures and information, and we stayed up all night picking a name just in case she chose us. Here's the miracle. There are so many miracles. This woman um, was going to give her baby for adoption, but he came early. And so she got to the hospital and didn't have a plan. The hospital gave her 10 adoption agencies. She picked ours. Our agency gave her 10 families, and she picked us. And on February 20, 
2013, this is the first time that I held Jaden Christopher Post, who is now the love of our lives and a total miracle. Not the provision I was asking God for during that long journey of no baby, but the perfect provision for our family. I want to help you translate this into your lives. So to do that, I want to teach you a Hebrew word. Is that cool? All right, everyone say this after me. You've got to use your, your throat, right? Everyone say, Zachar. Say it again, Zachar. Zachar means to remember. Okay, but it's not like remember like a piece of information for an exam you have to take tomorrow. It's remember something so as to do. Remember something so that it changes your actions. Zakhar, this is the Hebrew way of thinking about to remember. This word is used like 172 times in the Old Testament, often commanding the people to write this down. Remember what God has done so that when you need to trust him again, you will remember that he's faithful. It's such a cool word. Here is what I want you to hear. This is the key. Remembering what God has done in the past is the key to trusting him for the future. I want to say that again. Remembering what God has done in the past is the key to trusting him for the future. Now, here's the cool thing. This book right here is full of stories of God providing and caring for his people. It's full of stories, and I want to submit to you tonight that so is your life. So is your life. Tonight, I want to help you, Zachar. I want to give you a chance to remember what God has done in your past so that you can trust him more easily for your future. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you this piece of paper in a second. It's got two columns. On this side, it says Zachar in Hebrew and English. So if you don't read Hebrew, you can still read it, right? That's cool. Um, And it says this, ways I've seen God provide for me or for those around me. I want you to actually do this. I want you to actually, we're going to give you some time. I want you to write these things down. Now, sometimes this is difficult. I want to tell you there are so many ways that God's providing for you. Um, Sometimes you have to stop and think about what they are. Your heart is beating right now. That's a miracle. It's just one little thing I'll give you to think about. There are many categories of God's provision, okay? The second one has a picture of a basket. Because I want this to remind you of the story in Luke chapter 9 of God's provision, And in this column, you get to write down the things in your life that you need to trust God with, the things that are difficult, the things that are freaking you out, the things that you don't know how they're ever going to be solved. We're going to write them down in that column. Now, in just a second, we're going to do this, but listen, listen to these questions. These are the things I want you to consider as you leave from this teaching. Will you keep worrying, stressing out, Grieving over things that are not the way you wish that they were. Trying to solve everything on your own. Will you keep doing that with the things you need to trust? Or will you trust God? Will you trust him to provide? 
Will you stay safe or calculated, kind of doing the things that make sense as far as you can see? Or will you trust God's voice to lead you into places of risk, places of uncertainty, places of unknown, places where you have to trust him? N.T. Wright also says this, following Jesus is a venture of faith from first to last. This is a process that we are all in, learning to trust. So say these words with me one more time from Isaiah 26. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord... The Lord is the rock eternal. Pray with me. Jesus, we're thankful for the good news in these stories. We're thankful for the ways that you are able to provide. And we just tell you tonight that sometimes it's really difficult to trust you. Sometimes there are things that don't make sense. There are things that make us worry There are things that are just unknown. So God, all of those things on our hearts and minds tonight, would you just speak and bring peace and comfort and confidence in your ability to provide all things? Come, Lord Jesus, remind us what you've done so that we can trust you more each day. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.